0: From Indiana to Westchester, Waynesburg to State College, this is Lincoln Radio Journal. On this edition, for the first time in eight years, Pennsylvania has a new governor. What changes in approach and policy can we expect from Governor Josh Shapiro? David Taylor is joined by Rebecca Euler and Stephen Bloom for a Capital Watch Roundtable discussion. And Mark Rossi was elected supposedly as an independent speaker of the Pennsylvania House of Representatives. On my town hall commentary, I'll explain why that hasn't quite worked out as expected. I'm Loman Henry, and welcome to Lincoln Radio Journal. We'll get to our Capitol Watch crew in just a couple of minutes, but first, news headlines from patownhall.com public school enrollment in Pennsylvania is declining, but K-12 education spending has increased dramatically. The Delaware Valley Journal reports that from the fall of 2019 to the fall of 2020, public school enrollment dropped about 5 percent. During that same time frame, per-pupil spending rose to almost $20,000 per year, A 40% growth in the number of administrators is the main reason for the ballooning costs. Pennsylvania's corporate net income tax rate decreased by 1% as of January 1st and is slated to continue declining each year for the next 10 years. At nearly 10%, Pennsylvania had one of the highest corporate net rates in the nation. It now decreased to just under 9%. The high tax rate is a barrier for luring new businesses to Pennsylvania or to convince businesses already located here to expand. Lawmakers and former Governor Tom Wolf agreed on the cut at the end of last year's legislative session. The tax cut is a good thing in that a new report from Wallet Hub lists the Commonwealth as the seventh worst state in the nation for starting a business. As usual, we fare better than neighboring states like New Jersey and West Virginia, but we're not competitive with top performing states such as Florida, Texas, and Utah. According to the Center Square, casinos across Penns are investing heavily in physical expansion and renovation. Casinos have poured more than $250 million into renovation since the start of the pandemic, this in an effort to lure more visitors by providing safer spaces and adding new amenities. Read about all things Pennsylvania at patownhall.com. Josh Shapiro is now governor of Pennsylvania, and the new administration is expected to take a very different approach to governing from that of his predecessor. Here to talk about that and the likely policy priorities of the new governor is our Capitol Watch crew, David Taylor from the Pennsylvania Manufacturers Association is joined by Rebecca Euler from the Pennsylvania Motor Truck Association and Stephen Bloom of the Commonwealth Foundation. David.
1: And welcome once again to Capital Watch, where we keep an eye on what's happening under the Capitol Dome in Harrisburg for you. I'm your host, David Taylor, President and CEO of the Pennsylvania Manufacturers Association. With me in the studio, your Capital Watch All-Stars, Steve Bloom, Vice President of the Commonwealth Foundation. Steve, thanks for being here. Fantastic to be here, David. Outstanding. And... Rebecca Euler, president and CEO of the Pennsylvania Motor Truck Association. Rebecca, thanks so much for being here.
2: Glad to be here again, David. Thank you.
1: Well, it's been, you know, quite a week of uh, spectacle and fanfare in uh, in the Pennsylvania's capital as uh, Josh Shapiro uh, becomes the 48th governor of Pennsylvania. And that um, actually, Rebecca, you got to attend some of the festivities. What was that like?
2: I went to the inauguration uh, earlier in the week, and it was great. It it is really a lot of fun to watch um, the transfer of power from one governor to the other. It's steeped in tradition, of course, and ceremony. um, And there's a certain amount of hopefulness and anticipation um, in the air as you're watching uh, the ceremony, which uh, was really interesting. They had some great musical groups, the invocations, just the whole ceremony. I just found really interesting. And it's something that makes you feel a lot better about living in a democracy and watching a, a transfer of power. Or no matter who who uh, the governor is, it is it's a great tradition that's um, that's need to be a part of. So, yeah.
1: and of course, it also um, it reflects continuity that our yeah. system endures and that it connects us with um, you know with the past and uh, previous governors and administration, previous eras in in Pennsylvania's life, and so we open a new chapter with uh, Governor Shapiro and, and, uh, and uh, Vice uh, Lieutenant Governor Davis, excuse me. And um, so, Steve, what are your initial thoughts about the, uh, the, the great, great ceremony of this past well, week?
3: Yeah, you know, inaugurations, as Rebecca said, are always fascinating because you have a person who has been typically out there as a candidate for months or even years, and they've kind of talked about what they're going to do when they, they get elected to the high office that they're seeking. But now that inauguration speech that they typically give is your first clue to what they're really going to be like in office yes. as opposed to as, as a candidate. And so I was watching closely just to, to listen to what themes that Governor Shapiro talked about in this inaugural speech, his first opportunity to actually face the people of Pennsylvania as their governor rather than as a governor-elect or as a candidate. And, and he talked about the, the fiscal shape of Pennsylvania, the fact that we currently are arguably in a fairly solid condition compared to some of the places we've been in the past, but there are still challenges ahead. So he talked about the fiscal the importance of the fiscal health of Pennsylvania, which that, that's an important thing to all of us. He talked about the importance of good schools. And that, again, is important because it shows where his mind is. He's thinking in terms of education. Now, there's going to be a lot of dispute around the nuances of what that means, but the fact that he's talking about education in schools is important. He talked about safe communities and, and as, Rebecca, I'm sure you saw, he made some specific gestures to the law enforcement community during his inaugural – earlier this week. And he talked about an opportunity economy where there could be progress and, and prosperity for all Pennsylvanians. Literally sounds like the kind of thing that the Commonwealth Foundation would talk about. Well, sure. Uh, when we talk about good economic policy. He talked about religious tolerance, which is really the history of Pennsylvania, of why course. we were founded, why, why William Penn started this whole enterprise – and he talked about free and fair elections. So those are things that, certainly, as a, as a conservative, uh, as someone who watches public policy, those are all things that are important to me. And I'm glad that he brought those up.
1: And I'll I'll just add one thing to. Um, to what you offered, Steve, that the, yes, the inaugural address is the first, um, you know, the first proper presentation by the new governor of what the administration is going to pursue, what it stands for. But leading up to this, we've also seen, I think, some very instructive Um, choices in staff uh, and appointments to cabinet posts in the administration. And you see the governor uh, reaching across the aisle, bringing in uh, some some prominent Republicans, former state senator Pat Brown, uh, the former Senate Republican Appropriations chairman, is going to be the secretary of revenue. And, uh, you know, that's just really striking. I could easily see uh, uh, Pat Brown serving in that role in a Republican administration that um, uh, Philadelphia Elections Commissioner Al Schmidt. Um, has been designated as the Secretary of the Commonwealth to run the uh, Department of State, and he is he is a Republican, and he's somebody who's you know well known for being you know sober and responsible and um, and very effective and being fair. And so, whereas I think that you know Governor Wolf uh, you know entrusted that role to people who were very sharp partisans and left wing activists that. I think it says a lot that, um, you know, that Governor Shapiro chose not to do that.
3: And it's one thing to, to give lip service and say you're going to be bipartisan in your selections of members of your cabinet. And perhaps sometimes you'll see an office holder who, who names sort of a, 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 very, a very obscure position in the cabinet to someone who's kind of a poster child to show, hey, we're bipartisan. Right. But here he's, you know, certainly Governor Shapiro has gone beyond that already by choosing at least several Republicans to be close to his either his inner, inner circle or his cabinet. And so that is that's an interesting sign. I think it's a sign that does signal some intention to be uh, perhaps less partisan than Governor Wolf. A word I've heard a lot this week was uh, that Josh Shapiro will be a deal maker. Mm-hmm. Now that's not always a good thing in politics. But I think when you're talking about running a state like Pennsylvania, where there is a divided government, you have a Republican controlled Senate you have a, a new Democratic governor and you have a house that's in really paralysis right now. Yes. Uh, being able to broker deals is going to be a critical skill.
1: And, and Rebecca, that brings me to something that you noted that in a recent interview that that Governor Shapiro said that in his view, quote, politics is not a zero sum game.
2: Yes, he did say that. Um, and he also said that he would want to bring the temperature down in the Capitol building, which I thought was interesting too because as we all know, we do live in an extremely partisan, divided um, you know, state and in a political environment in Harrisburg. And it does, I think, bode well if he's uh, signaling an intent to sort of work through that. Um, and I do think that that's important. Um, and I think he'll have a lot of, um, you know, friends that are willing to work with him on that on both sides of the aisle. So I think it is a good indication, like Steve said, with those um, cabinet appointments, which I, I think were well considered along those lines.
1: And I think something else, um, you know, that uh, there's a... It was a comment that an acquaintance made uh, that struck with me saying that that Tom Wolf operated the platform of state government, but he was never really a leader. And that, you know, the fact that he didn't reside in the, the governor's residence, that he, um, you know, delegated a lot of negotiating and decision making to to staff, that he was just never present that, um, you know. Governor Shapiro is going to be very different. Um, you know, I believe that he is going to to live at the at the governor's residence, and you know, in that way, one of the great tools of that office is to you know to share the spotlight, to uh, to share the grandeur of what it means to be governor of Pennsylvania and held, holding dinners at the at the residence and doing those kinds of things. And I I have every expectation that Governor Shapiro is going to. To use all of those tools, um, you know, to to talk to people, to to convene, um, you know, meetings of uh, you know legislative leaders, and, and I just think, I just think it's a much better way to do business. It's been 12 years since Pennsylvania has
3: had an a, a an engaged governor like that. You know, back in, in 2010, Governor Corbett was elected, and he was uh, his relationship with the legislature going in was rather icy. And it didn't get any better during his four-year term. Uh, obviously, he, he, uh, his loss after four years, when he ran for re-election, was uh, the end of a long tradition in Pennsylvania, where almost every cycle had alternated between a governor, a Democratic governor, a Republican right. governor. Then we had Governor Tom Wolf, the Democrat, for eight years, and again, he was he was not one to he was not gregarious. He was not out there uh, making new friends. He was essentially you know working with a with a fairly insulated insular uh, administration a lot of times i've i heard from folks who were trying to negotiate with the wolf administration on budgetary matters they didn't even know who to talk to because yeah. there there weren't yeah. people there and they weren't they weren't they weren't out there making friends or at least acquaintances with the, with the other folks in government who one has to work with in order to get
1: anything accomplished Like they say, that's a heck of a way to run a railroad. You're listening to Capital Watch. I'm David Taylor from Pennsylvania Manufacturers. With me, Rebecca Euler from the Pennsylvania Motor Truck Association and Steve Bloom from the Commonwealth Foundation.
2: Yeah, I agree with Steve. Um, I think it's it's a good indication um, what we're seeing so far. One of the biggest problems I think the Wolf administration had is that they just simply didn't want to talk to people who disagreed with them right. in a lot of cases. Um, and they like to do things uh, through regula- regulation, through sort of administrative fiat. And I just think back to when, uh, you know, the economy was shut down during COVID and how, um you know, the determination as to what businesses were considered essential was made by a couple people in a room. Um, So without any
1: contact with the real world and the people who would be affected by those decisions that were being made.
2: Right. So I, I just think back on that. And that was just the perfect illustration of just not wanting to talk to folks who really are involved in and affected by the policies that that you know, are, are going to be developed. And so I think it's a good indication that we, uh, some indications here that we're seeing that uh, Governor Shapiro is going to be willing to talk to folks who he doesn't necessarily disagree with because I think that's very healthy and, and something that will uh, change, change the way we, you know, do things in Harrisburg.
1: One of the things that the Governor is pointing to is um, you know mental health and health care, and um, you know especially for young people. and you know we've made some progress in Pennsylvania on corrections reform. Um, but I mean the 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 real challenges for the for the Corrections Department is that so many people come to them who are either addicted to to whichever kind of chemicals. Or they're mentally ill, or both. And you know, ever since the um, you know the the mental institutions were were shut down in the 1960s, that um, there really there was never a new system of care that that arose to 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 replace that to succeed that. And so there's been this huge unmet need. And um, and again, in the hopes that we can. You know, help people who who are in trouble, who, who need uh, that kind of health care that, you know, I hope that this is I hope that this is, again, a place where Pennsylvania can lead the way that we can that we can, um, you know, find find solutions that work.
2: Well, and I think um, Steve mentioned fiscal, the fiscal health um, issue that he brought up during his address. Um, he's also talked about um, investing in economic development in the uh, state. And we've talked many times about uh, the corporate net income tax in Pennsylvania being um, very high, one of the highest in the country. And we took the first step this year by bringing it down one full point from 9.99 to 8.99 percent. He had indicated, you know, going into the election that he would favor Speeding up the reduction over mm-hmm. the next couple years, and that is certainly something that would help jumpstart the economy. And I know would be supported by a lot of uh, a lot of the Republicans in the building too. So we'll see. Maybe that's some place that we can go.
1: The governor also talked about the importance of technical education and bringing that back to all of our um, public schools, and um, you know that also shows an interest in uh, addressing the workforce crisis and connecting people to the skills that will get them the jobs that exist in the economy today that are going unfilled. And so that's, you know, that's another area where I think with job training and workforce development that um, that we may be able to work together to, you know, find solutions that are effective.
3: The need to find qualified employees to provide the good or service that you produce is a big deal. Yes, sir, And, and it, it, it speaks to the well-being of all of our fellow Pennsylvanians. We've all seen what happens when we have these supply chain breakdowns, and a lot of that is driven by lack of manpower. And so the fact that the, 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 uh, the governor was talking about that issue, the need for, for technical training, botex and so forth, that's key because the, the system of education, like it or not, is changing in this world. Right. There, there's – regardless of whether public schools want it, there, there's a lot more competition for public schools today, and that's good. It's, it's healthy. It drives uh, that system to start to produce the kind of students that, that we need to fill the jobs that we have. Yes,
1: in, the, so, same way, in the same way that FedEx and UPS and DHL have, have made USPS level up and, and the improve. sooner we
3: acknowledge that, the better. Yes. And at every level of education from, from elementary school through high school through the, 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 um, the post-secondary – programs like we can't have uh, these institutions that are that are producing a whole bunch of of impractical students with impractical majors that don't actually there's no need for them in the real world when in fact there's a desperate need for students who are technically trained students in the healthcare professions Students in in the critical engineering and
1: and, and uh, manufacturing well, and sectors, and you know, and Stephen, this is, I mean, Rebecca, I'm sure you've heard this too. This that really one of the biases that we have out there in in society is that a person who chooses to pursue a technical education um, somehow can't be a well-rounded or civilized person. And it's like that's just so. Completely untrue and and idiotic. And in fact, I would argue that that it it would be so much better for, say, a person who's interested in the medical field to get that you know two year nursing degree and then work in healthcare while you're going to college to get the 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 pre-med degree that will then prepare you to go to med school you know to have a, a person trained as an electrician you work as an electrician while you're going to the you know the 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 undergraduate institution to get your your engineering degree like there are ways to apply these 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 skills to be successful, including, you know, to be able to, you know, to pay your way as you're, uh, uh, you know, working your way up, going into, um, you know, more advanced levels of skill.
2: That's absolutely true. And I can tell you, we have a dire need in Pennsylvania for diesel techs. And truck drivers, uh, and I can tell you that when you get out of a program and graduate from a you know technical program where you can work in one of those industries right away, you can make sixty, seventy thousand, eighty thousand dollars right out of the gate. Yep. So it is amazing um, to think that we have so many kids that choose to go to college and um, end up not using their degrees really that they graduated with. Um, I have a lot of friends that that happened to, who really end up going back and you know going into a technical um, field because they can actually make more money and be happier yeah. so I just hope that um, it's it's something that becomes more culturally um, commonplace and accepted that that it the college is not for everyone um, and it's not the only way to success
1: yeah and that's what's so frustrating for um, you know for manufacturers is that the jobs that are open, are really good paying jobs with family sustaining wages and good benefits and you know and and retirement or 401k type benefits and you know i mean i really believe that the best opportunity Pennsylvania has for real social progress is to help people who've been um, you know outside the workforce to help them to get the skills to take on the responsibilities of these jobs and in that way to give those Pennsylvanians an actual ownership stake in in uh, in American society and like we all win
3: and there, there are a couple things I'll be watching over these this beginning period of the Shapiro administration and in- Probably the two areas I'll be watching most closely to see if he's, you know, where he's really going with things, Uh, education and energy. If he starts to signal that he's going to make sure that Pennsylvania utilizes its vast, clean, safe natural gas reserves in a a constructive manner, I think that's going to be a signal that that he's going to be practical and helpful to, to the future of Pennsylvania in that field. And then with education, he talked on the campaign trail about the importance of educational choice and families being able to have options other than the zip code assigned Public school, and I'd, I'd like to see if he if he actually follows through with that idea and, and provides some options in terms of education, as we discussed how critical that is.
1: And it's you know, I mean, it's very hopeful. Um, and so, again, of course, this is the week for everybody to be you know positive and enthusiastic and hopeful. Uh, but we will watch and and wait, and we will earnestly hope that uh, uh, that the the positive feeling keeps going. So anyway, that. Brings us down to the end of the time that we have. Uh, Thanks to everybody for tuning in. Steve, where can people go to learn more about you and your group? They can
3: visit the Commonwealth Foundation at commonwealthfoundation.org.
1: Outstanding. Rebecca, where can people go online to learn more about you and your group?
2: They can find the Pennsylvania Motor Truck Association at pmta.org. Wonderful.
1: And as ever, you can find me online at pamanufacturers.org. From Steve, Rebecca, and me, thank you for listening. And we'll catch you next time on Capital Watch. And now, a town hall commentary from Loman Henry.
0: Thank you, David. The national electorate, including here in Penn's Woods, is almost evenly divided. Presidential elections are being determined by plurality rather than by majority. Democrats hold a one-seat edge in the U.S. Senate, Republicans a slim majority in the U.S. House of Representatives. At the state level, the majority of Pennsylvania's House of Representatives hinges on just one or two seats with a numerical majority set to vary depending on the timing and outcome of special elections to fill three vacant seats. This has resulted in legislative paralysis. The first item of business at the start of a legislative session is to elect a Speaker of the House. With a slim temporary Republican majority likely to soon dissolve into an even slimmer Democrat majority, neither side was able to muster enough votes to seat their preferred candidate for speaker. A last-minute deal resulted in the election of State Representative Mark Rossi, a Democrat who pledged to change his party affiliation to independent and sit in neither caucus. Predictably, the legacy news media heralded the selection of an independent speaker as a breath of fresh air. There was considerable gushing over the move away from the hyper-partisan climate of the Tom Wolf era. While well, that novel idea lasted less than a week, Rossi backtracked on his pledge to register as an independent. This prompted Republicans, who supported his election as Speaker, to call out the betrayal and demand his resignation. In the chaos that followed, the House was unable to adopt rules and to form committees. Legislative business ground to a halt. The concept of an independent Speaker was about as realistic as seeing unicorns and purple squirrels cavorting on the Capitol lawn. Rossi was elected and re-elected as a Democrat and could never have been expected to shed that history. In fact, he could not even pull off a charade. Even within the electorate at large, there are few true independents. A deep dive into voter analytics finds most voters who self-identify as independent actually lean strongly to one party or the other. Thus, even the currently very small slice of the electorate viewed as swing voters becomes even smaller. We have seen many pretensions of independence. The Legislative Redistricting Commission that imposed one of the most gerrymandered maps in state history was helmed by a fifth member who was supposed to be independent. In fact, that fifth member, former Pitt Chancellor Mark Nordenberg, turned out to be the most highly partisan member of the Redistricting Commission, and he bears much of the blame for the current stalemate. Nordenberg was appointed to the post by the Pennsylvania Supreme Court. Now, in theory, the judiciary is the most impartial and independent branch of government. In fact, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court has been highly activist, repeatedly injecting itself into the political process to advantage Democrats. True independence does not exist. More realistic is the concept of bipartisan cooperation. Republicans and Democrats can come together to take important and effective legislative action. For example, at the end of the last session, lawmakers agreed on a plan to cut the state's corporate net income tax, and it was signed into law by the governor. There are many examples of issues where legislators agree on outcomes, but differ on how to achieve their goals. The hyperpartisan divide in state government can largely be laid at the feet of former Governor Tom Wolf. Wolf had a go it alone approach to governing that failed to bring folks together to hammer out their differences and build consensus on key issues. There is a glimmer of hope that will change. Governor Josh Shapiro has talked frequently about bipartisan cooperation. On the campaign trail, he has taken positions that leave open the door for serious discussion on ways to improve Pennsylvania's business climate and to provide more educational opportunities for our citizens. As a former state representative, Governor Shapiro has a working knowledge of the legislative process that his predecessor lacked. He also brings significantly more executive experience to the job. His key staff and cabinet appointments to date have been inclusive of individuals from both sides of the political aisle. Mark Rossi was thrust into a role for which he had no time to prepare. That, however, does not excuse him from keeping the promises that won him the job. No, he won't be a true independent, but he does have before him the opportunity to work with both sides to craft bipartisan consensus. With a Town Hall commentary, I'm Loman Henry. If you miss hearing Lincoln Radio Journal on your favorite radio station, audio of our complete program, is available on our websites, Journal.com and Lincoln Institute.org. For 28 years, Lincoln Radio Journal has been heard on public affairs-minded radio stations throughout the Commonwealth, including 5DRadio.com in Fraser, WGETAM and WGTYFM in Gettysburg, along with WERGFM at Gannon University in Erie, Pennsylvania. The Lincoln Radio Journal is produced weekly by the Lincoln Institute of Public Opinion Research Incorporated. The Lincoln Institute is completely funded through the generosity of individuals, corporations, and philanthropic foundations, including the Pennsylvania Manufacturers Association, the Allegheny Foundation of Pittsburgh, and the Houston Foundation of Coatesville, all of whom have helped to underwrite the cost of this program. Lincoln Radio Journal is a trademark of the Lincoln Institute of Public Opinion Research, Incorporated. Comments and opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Lincoln Institute or of this radio station. From the Lincoln Broadcast Center in Harrisburg, I'm Loman Henry, Thank you for listening to Pennsylvania's most widely broadcast public affairs radio program, Lincoln Radio Journal. Plug into the pulse of Pennsylvania.